Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. Welcome in Lake Kick is live. It is Sunday night, April 3rd already, the year of our Lord, 2022. You ever find yourself not mad, just a little disappointed? Well, we're going to talk a little bit about that emotion tonight and how it ties into college football. We're also going to talk a lot about, well, Texas A&M recruiting because I don't know if you heard this on another five-star. Some mind-blowing stats. Literally needed to use the hands there to talk about tonight with them. We're going to build a super program on the show this evening using really whatever we want to steal from any program out there. Also, talk a little bit, maybe for the first time easily on this show this year, about who could be in a little trouble this year? Which coaches need it in 2022 the most? We're jam-packed tonight. We're high atop what we could only describe as a blooming and booming downtown Nashville, Tennessee. It's busy as it always is, but actually starting to see some colors on the trees. Got to the mid-60s today. It's really nice. Dare I say, a little pollen in the air. So happy to have you along with us. We are right smack dab in the middle of Final Four National Championship game. Whatever you're worried about, whatever you're dealing with, just cast it aside for about 45 minutes, and let's just sit back and talk about what all we love to talk about tonight. Bangkok, Thailand. They are tuned in, Jesse and Colin, in Bangkok, as well as Elizabeth, Colorado. Uh, Here's a tough one. We have never had a Bahrainian viewer reach out until now. Munama, best I could do in Bahrain. Thank you for watching. Texarkana, Texas is tuned in. And Gwin, Alabama is watching tonight. True story of the 1974 tornado outbreak. Gwin is the most fascinating tornado that I have ever done research on, along with the Gerald tornado of the 1990s. And if you live there, you know good and well what I'm talking about. So let's dive in tonight. We did mailbag for about the past two weeks. We've become fascinated with the concept of mailbag shows around here and you keep delivering. And so tonight we're doing it at least one more time. We'll just see if this takes off. We're just going to continue to do it. Uh, We're going to mix a healthy amount of current matters in tonight. And you decided it, not I. So let's dive in. The first question tonight has to do with 2022. It has to do with um, something that I don't always like talking about, but if you want to talk about it, let's do it. Dirty Bird leads us off. He asks, well, we just completed arguably the craziest college football coaching carousel ever. That we did. I agree with that. Give me five head coaching jobs you think might come open next year for any reason. Well, I didn't have to do it because he listed five of them. So he listed Auburn, North Carolina, Arizona State, Iowa, and Florida State. What I'm going to do, instead of just haphazardly throwing out ideas of my own yet, since it's only April, is I'm going to go down that list. I'll tell you how likely I think it is that these jobs come open. Start with Auburn. There was a lot of debate amongst uh, Jesse and Colin and I today about what percentage chance we would put here. What percentage chance, by the way, for you listening or watching, would you put on Auburn as a head coaching job opening up after this coming year? I think a lot of folks are going well above 50%. I'm not. Just because it always seems really clear cut when you're well away from the decision needing to be made and then all sorts of things can happen between now and then. Not the least of which is maybe Brian Harson just wins more than you think he would. I saw a book put out win totals for SEC Western Division teams the other day. Auburn was five. That's the over-under, thereabouts, five, that you can expect for Auburn. So what if Harson goes seven and five? What if he goes eight and four? You firing him? I don't think so. So Brian Harson, I put it at 45%. I think I want to go lower than that now that I'm live. I think I want to go about 40%. On Brian Harson, you got to keep in mind with all that, it's not just a normal program, it's Auburn. So that's worth a good 15% knowing the dynamics down there. 
Let me give uh, Harson 40% chance that there is a change being made there. North Carolina. I'm not sure where this one came from. I don't think there's any kind of unrest there. Sure, they fell short of expectation last year, but let's remember, this is North Carolina and they're recruiting very well, well much better consistently than they have for several cycles of coaching staffs that have come through Chapel Hill. I put this at 10%. And to me, the only chance that a change is happening there is if Mac Brown were to up and decide to retire. Crazier things have happened. I don't think anyone thought, even when Mac Brown got hired there, he was going to stay there a decade. Uh, but I also don't expect him to hang it up in the next 12 months. So 10%. And that 10% is just the standard, anything could happen. What about Arizona State? A lot of us, myself included, are surprised that Herm is still there. I always find this hard to talk about because like Herm Edwards is a, a man's man. He's kind of the guy that you'd want to hang out with, but they've had problems out there and it's been well documented on this show and elsewhere. 80%. I went really high on this. I think there's an 80% chance that they're making a coaching change. Remember not too long ago, we did a show where I read you a bunch of quotes that some administrators out there at Arizona State had given on a Phoenix radio station. And they were talking about an NCAA investigation during the investigation, which I found a little odd. I, everybody else has been shown the door but Herm. So I think it's a matter of time. The nature of that investigation is ongoing. And I think even within the NCAA's parameters, this thing can't move so slow that we don't have a resolution by the end of this season. Could it? Could it? Yeah, I guess it could. 80%. Iowa, kind of ditto to North Carolina here. Kirk Ferentz is at Iowa. Uh, he gets a contract extension every year, it seems. Kirk Ferentz and Mark Stoops at Iowa and Kentucky, respectively, they've got life figured out. Not just college football. they got life figured out. They get paid generational money to coach at places where the expectations are well-checked and within reason. The culture's rock solid. The people are rock solid. And the program, as a result, is rock solid. Kirk Ferentz, I put it 10%. And it's the same as I thought with Mac Brown. If he retires, he retires. And you're making a coaching change. But if we're talking about firing, if we're talking about replacing a guy because he got shown the door, I don't see that happening. So 10% and that's all encompassing. The last one was Florida State. I think there's going to be a fair amount of debate on this one too. I'm not going very high with Norvell either. I think he's going to be safe there. I think they're going to improve this year record-wise. So 15% is what I put on this. And that's if they were to have another disastrous year this season. Keep in mind, I've said this a few times over about the past month. The thing to remember with Norvell unlike some of his predecessors and unlike just some other folks that don't know how to handle this stuff elsewhere in college football, he didn't sell you a bill of goods when he got there. If you're a Florida State fan, you know this. If you, if you live in, um, I don't know, Colorado, you may not know this. He didn't walk in the door and promise people things. In fact, quite the opposite. He promised them there was a hard, there was a hard couple of years ahead and they've dealt with it so far. So year three now, what do they want? They want to win eight games. It's a very clear number there. There's the snowman. They want to win eight games. So give them a snowman this year or thereabouts, and they'll be good with you. 15% is the ch chances that I give there being a coaching change made there. So that's where I look around the country so far and see people really needing to have big years this year. But we'll also do another question about that a little, little ways down the road in the show tonight. This next question is going to be extremely controversial. We probably spent, I would say, a vast majority of our afternoon on this, uh, so much so that I couldn't even fit all the answers on the piece of paper in front of me. So I had to break out a trusty post-it for some spillover content. Here's the question. Question from Miami, Florida. Shout out Miami. Create your ideal super program by mixing and matching components from existing programs in the landscape. Ideal head coach, stadium environment, location, fan culture. You get the concept here. So I'm going to use Pate State since I run Pate State. If I were to just forget originality, if I am stealing from across the country and I am creating basically a Mr. Potato Head by attaching all sorts of appendages, figurative in nature, though they might be from other programs, where would I go? Ooh, this one's fun. So the first thing I wanted to do is get the easy stuff out of the way. Head coach is Nick Saban. Nick Saban always has a place at Pate State. The very definition of Pate State material in the future updates of Webster's when Pate State material is included in its rightful place in the dictionary, or at the very least a thesaurus, that guy's picture will be next to it. Nick Saban, Pate State material. Now we get into the weeds a little bit. What about fan culture? I went to Texas A&M. You know why? Because the more I've been around Texas A&M folks, 
the more they exhibit what we in the neighborhood would call a DGAF mentality. And again, it's an acronym, acronym season on Late Kick. If you know, you know. I've always heard people bash Texas A&M folks. But before I had been out there, I sort of didn't know why. And I also sort of went along with it just because everybody else laughed at it. You know, well, then the more I was around them, the more I realized why those folks amongst themselves say that whole, if you're here, it makes sense. If you're not here, we're not worried about you. They really don't worry about outside criticism. And they also have a lot to be proud of. It's a really awesome environment. It's a really awesome culture. So in terms of fan culture, I want Texas A&M's fan culture. What about student section? This one was made clear to me this past year in, what was it, Jesse, week two or week three, when I went up to state college and I was able to see Penn State and I was able to see the Penn State student section, which I am now adopting to Pate State because the coordination, the involvement, the tenacity. Have I ever used that word to describe a student section? No, but it's really incredible. I described it as being like a pro wrestling event. WrestleMania is happening as we speak. I described it as being almost like a pro wrestling event. So for the Pate State student section, I want shades of the Penn State student section. Loyalty is important to us at Pate State. Loyalty is a precious and priceless commodity. They have it at Nebraska like I want it at Pate State. At Nebraska, unlike some other places, you could never know what that team's record is by flying the blimp above the stadium because it looks the same whether you're 8-4 and four or 4-8, four and eight, whether you're 2-10 and 10 or 10-2. and two. That's why everyone around the country loves their program. But then not too far down the list, they say, and I'd really love for Nebraska to get it back on track. Nobody outside of former or current rivals, nobody hates Nebraska. Everybody either loves or likes Nebraska. And there's a soft place in people's heart for Nebraska. Number one, because some of you have been road fans and you've gone in there and been treated, you know, like uh, the nicest receptionist at the history of Holiday Inn would treat you. And then secondly, you watch the fan loyalty. Everyone appreciates that. And I'll tell you who really appreciates it. Programs out there, whether you're winning or you're losing, you're struggling to fill your stadium up. You're struggling to get folks to show up on time. You're struggling to get them to stick around through all four quarters. And then you look up the road, probably a good ways depending on where you are in Lincoln, Nebraska, and those folks are flying those red balloons every Saturday, and they got that thing jammed to the rafters, even though it's an outdoor venue. I want that kind of loyalty. I want Nebraska fan loyalty at Pate State. As for stadium environment, we got down this list a pretty good ways before we went the way of LSU. But make no mistake, I want the LSU stadium environment. I want the Death Valley stadium environment. And I'll tell you what I want in particular. It's kind of a put the women and children to bed sort of thing when you have to go down there and play at night, unless, of course, they're clad in purple and gold, in which case we welcome them. Seeing neck, no one cares. It's just all allowed on a Saturday night at LSU. As I have told you many times, and I'll tell you like a 15-second version of it, first time I ever went to LSU, it was a night game versus Bama, Saban in town. That's how I got baptized into all this. And I remember so vividly thinking to myself, I feel uncomfortable. When I was walking in the stadium, just two hours before the game, I feel uncomfortable. I wonder how those poor souls in Crimson feel. It turns out they won that night, so it was all worth it for them. But I, I want that hostility. I, don't, I want the loyalty of Nebraska fans, but I also want the hostility of the LSU fans. So I want someone who'll stroke you on a cheek, but also slap you on the other cheek. Is that too much to ask? We've seen a lot of that publicly lately. Is that too much to ask? I would argue. In fact, I said the other night and got chastised for it by half of you. If public open-handed slapping was a more instrumental part of our society, I think a lot of the foolishness would be cut out. I'm not taking a stand on Will Smith. I'm actually going to reference him later. But I want the hostility. I want that intimidating nature that really exists at LSU, especially at night, unlike any other place. Stadium entrance, got to go to Blacksburg. I love Inner Sandman uh, as a song, period. And so when they are able to incorporate it in a game day environment, and doubly especially when they got that national broadcast spotlight on Lane Stadium, it's a spectacle that you look forward to. I know some people who tune in early just to make sure they see that, even if they don't even watch the rest of the game. Now stop and think about what I just said for a second. They've created something in terms of a stadium entrance so unique at Virginia Tech People who don't even care about the game make sure they're there early, whether it be in person or certainly tuned in, 
just so they can see the entrance. If you've done that, you have clearly orchestrated something that is good enough for us to take as part of our own here at Pate State. The fight song, certainly there are many choices here, but there was only one for me. Because there's only one band, to my knowledge, that Fleetwood Mac has appeared on stage with, and that is the USC Fighting Trojan Marching Band. And so I want the USC fight song. If you're very curious out there or unfamiliar as to what that USC fight song sounds like, it's unmistakable once you hear it. But in order for you to hear it, I think Colin can turn that disc right now. background. Just pay attention to how awesome the song is. Lincoln Riley will fix all that foolishness in the background before too much longer. Uh, I don't think that there is a better fight song in college football than the USC fight song, especially since they've played it with Fleetwood Mac before. All right, I'll continue now. Campus? Again, I'm on a campus every weekend. There are a lot of places I could go, so I could have done a top 20 here. Uh, I think Georgia's campus is about as good as it gets in college football. Here's what I like about Athens. Aside from the fact that it's in my home state, it's kind of built into the countryside a little bit. It's kind of, is typographically a word? Topography is very, very much a fixture of Georgia's campus. It's not flat. You know, if you're in Lawrence, Kansas, you got what you got. But in Athens, kind of at the, the base of the Appalachians, and so you've got a little bit of terrain to work with, and they kind of built Sanford Stadium into the side of a hill. I'm kind of fascinated by stadium design, and part of the fascination I have with walking in Sanford is you walk down this like steep, 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 steep ramp when you walk in for the media entrance, at least, and visiting team entrance. Very treacherous, especially if it's raining. But um, I love the way that Athens is laid out. Everything's kind of, it's kind of nestled into its spot, if that makes sense. And everything's old. Everything's been there for like 100 years. Again, there are a lot of answers I could have gone with here. But for our Pate State campus, I want it to most closely resemble Athens, Georgia. The mascot, again, after this year, I didn't have to think too long about. I had a moment with Bevo. A lot of you pointed out they sedate him before the games, and that's why he kept his cool, even as OU and Texas were busy hanging over 100 combined points during the Red River shootout. I don't care what they do to him pregame. Because truth be told, I don't want to know what a lot of you are doing to yourselves pregame. But when I had a moment with Bevo this past year, it let me know that's a very powerful animal. We're a very powerful university at Pate State, and what we're trying to do exudes power. And I want a mascot that exudes power. And so, again, until Bama gets that live elephant, the petition continues, but until Bama locks down that live elephant, I think we got to go with Bevo for our mascot. Now, a lot of you are going to think I'm playing favorites when we continue here. But it is what it is. Midfield logo. There's not a better one in the country than LSU. And I've stood on the midfield logo at LSU. So I know how awesome it looks on TV because they have the tiger eye, for those of you unfamiliar. So you got the tiger eye at midfield, but they also have, I'm no graphic design expert, but they have what I would call a fade concept. There aren't sharp edges around the tiger eye. It just slowly fades into the grass, kind of like a tiger would do in real life. Is there double meaning to the way they designed the tiger eye, Jesse, Colin? I just figured that out on air. There's not. I'm going to tell people it is. They don't put the hard edges. They put the soft edges where it fades into the grass, just like the animal itself would. You know, they should still have Mike at games. You shouldn't kowtow to PETA at every turn in life, people. Mike should still be at games. Bring Mike back. I want the elephant at Tuscaloosa. I want Mike the tiger back at LSU. So the midfield design, I want the LSU tiger eye or something like that for Pate State. But as for the end zone, I don't need anything too complex. We're going to use a lot of paint, but I like the checkerboard end zone at Neyland Stadium. We tried to fight about this a little bit today, but all of us pretty much came to the same conclusion. That is a great look. It's a timeless look. That translates very well. You don't have to constantly update the design. I've watched them paint it before. Uh, hey, those lines and making sure they're straight, it's a little bit tougher than it looks. It takes an artist's touch, and they have plenty of them in Knoxville. So I want the end zone design 
of Tennessee while I take the midfield design of LSU. And as for color combos, Tennessee's color combo looks really good to me. But as for color combo, you couldn't go wrong in the 80s with red and yellow and Hulk Hogan. And you can't go wrong in 2022 when it comes to the color combination of my Iowa State Cyclones. Red and yellow for the win. When they break out those black jerseys, I want nothing to do with it. I want red and yellow. And so there you go. I built my super program. I'm not even going to begin to summarize all these again because we got to move on. But I am sure that I will have 100% agreement in the comment section. I won't even bother to ask. I know what's coming. Trust me, I know what's coming. But that's, that's my super program. You can design your own super program, and I will be very interested to see your submissions. You know they're tuned in tonight all over the world. For instance, Asheville, North Carolina is tuned in, but so is Auckland, New Zealand. Murfreesboro, Tennessee is tuned in, and you know who else is tuned in? Our friends in Worcester, Massachusetts. And some of you probably think that a kid who grew up in West Central Georgia has no clue how to pronounce Worcester. But I know where Mick Foley won the WWF title on the first Raw of 1999, and it was in the Worcester Centrum. So I've known how to pronounce Worcester for a long time. Can't get half the towns in my home state, but I can get Worcester. Wherever you're watching tonight, thank you so much for that. We continue here. Little, uh, little March Madness theme to this question. Matthew asks, similar to this year's Final Four, what is ultimately better for college football in the long term? A revival of Blue Bloods or the rise of more Cinderella teams? And that's from College Station, Texas, by the way. It depends on what we mean when we say Cinderella. But let's just, for the sake of argument, say Cincinnati uh, 2021 was a Cinderella team. It was the first G5 team ever make the playoff, right? So that's pretty Cinderella in nature. You can go all the way back to the Boise State team of 2008, I think it was. You can pick what you think Cinderella is, but I'll tell you what I think is ultimately the best for all of them. What's ultimately the best for the entire balance of college football is for programs with the advantage to take advantage. So I said that really fast, and it may not have made sense. So whether you are a blue blood to the core type fan, or whether you're the guy who pulls for the underdog and who constantly wants someone like Cincinnati crashing the party, you both need to agree with me. I think we have rare consensus on this, even if you don't realize it yet. So here's what I mean, because I think there, there's a perception that there's a lot of division on this answer. There's really not. There are, admittedly, a lot of programs in college football that the sport is tilted in favor of. Your traditional blue bloods, if you will. The best thing for competitive balance in college football is not for a random Cinderella to make a run amongst a few other giant blue bloods dominating the sport like we just saw with Cincinnati. The best thing for competitive balance college football is for the programs with the advantage to take advantage. I'm talking about Texas. I'm talking about USC. I'm talking about Miami. I'm talking about FSU. Because here's what happens. If you have a world in college football where instead of three or four legitimate tier one teams, you have 10 to 15 tier one or tier two teams, i.e. your blue blood crowd, and they're all performing at a pretty high level, chances are there is no monster amongst them because the talent has been distributed up. The level of play is too high across too wide a body of teams for any one, two, or three programs to put a death grip on the sport. And I'll tell you what that does. What it does is, number one, it just provides you more competitive balance. Number two, it provides you more competitive games. But number three, since you probably don't have any true generationally elite teams like 2019 LSU or 2020 Bama, if you don't have those, then you have what happened this past year and you have an environment that is ripe for upsets. And when you have an environment that's ripe for upsets, any given season, you have much more a favorable environment for a Cincinnati. This past year, everyone wanted to make the argument, yes, yeah, Cincinnati made it in, but everything had to fall perfect. I got news for you. Everything will always have to fall perfect for a G5 team to make it in. My question is, in what world is it more likely? Where you only have a few blue blood programs, but they're just totally and utterly laying waste to the sport? Or a world where all or most to all of the blue blood programs that have built-in advantages are taking advantage of the advantage and therefore sort of leveling out tier one. And instead of having two or three elite teams and then a gap, you have maybe one elite team, but chances are more likely you have a bunch of 
really good to bordering on great teams that beat each other up. And any given year, you could have a veteran senior-laden team like a Cincinnati that actually has a legit shot, not just to knock on the door of the playoff, but to actually do something, i.e. win a game in the playoff, which wasn't going to happen this past year. It's always going to be unlikely, understand that. Uh, but also, I'll tell you what it does. What just happened to Cincinnati? Not just because of this past year, but what's happened to Central Florida? What's happened to Cincinnati? What's happened is what's supposed to happen. What's supposed to happen to the best G5 programs, the model that I love to see, is they consistently invest, they consistently perform at a high level, and because of that, they don't remain G5 programs. They get snatched up by a Power 5 conference. In this case, the Big 12 has snatched up UCF, has snatched up Cincinnati. Hats off to them. Congratulations to them. Uh, so, Matthew, I would argue that the best thing for college football is not for Blue Bloods to stumble. I think you want as many of them with their act together as possible because it ultimately stabilizes the environment in such a way that you never have runaway trains or very rarely do you have runaway trains. Uh, let's move on here. Now, this one kind of sounds like something that got asked a little while ago. I'm going to go a different direction with it, though. Taylor asks, which coach has the most to prove to the school and the boosters and the fans in the 2022 season? He wrote 23, but I'm saying 2022 season. Now, this may sound like who's on the hot seat. I didn't take it that way. That's why I'm going to start this off with James Franklin at Penn State. James Franklin is on no sort of hot seat whatsoever. Uh, James Franklin, we're a big fan of him. But yet, that's why we are suggesting he has a lot to prove in 2022. I don't think he'd disagree with this. I think if you were sitting here, he kind of echoed the sentiment, actually. So uh, James Franklin, what he has to prove is the ability to maintain, to maintain consistency once they get into the season. You know, this past year, for example, they started off well. They had injury at the quarterback position. I understand that there are very few teams out there built to withstand that. But what upset a lot of Penn State fans is not only did they lose to Iowa, then they also lose to Illinois. And a Penn State fan would rightly tell you, injured quarterback or not, especially if we got a backup that's been on campus multiple years, even if Will Levis left us, our, our former backup, and went to Kentucky, yes, it put us in a bad way. But there is no world, injury or not, where we should be losing to Illinois at home. I think that was off a bye, no less. So there's no world where that needs to be happening. And that happened in the middle of a string of losses. So what they need to prove, after they ran off a string of 11 wins in 2019, they had 11 wins in 17 and 16, after that, then you dip down to four and five in the COVID year and seven and six this past year, they need to get back up there into knocking on that 10 win per year range, but they need to be consistent. There doesn't need to be a dip. So James Franklin, I'll put him on that list. Uh, Mike Norvell, Florida State head coach is on this list. And to me, again, this is not a hot seat list, so don't misunderstand me. What Mike Norvell needs to show is simply growth. And the reason I make it so generic is because it deals with the entire spectrum of the program. I, I'm not focused on any one part. In other words, uh, eight wins, the old snowman, like we said earlier in the show, they just need to improve everywhere, incrementally improve everywhere. Make sure that when you're watching them in September and then November, in November, you're saying, this team looks better than they did in September. And just overall this year, this program is showing signs of growth. Growth is the key word for Florida State because that's what they're preaching. They're preaching process and they're preaching growth. Year two was a crapshoot. Year three, I should see it. I should see growth down there. I think I will. So I think I'm, I'm going to affirm a lot of this come uh, fall. But Jimbo Fisher is another coach that I'm going to look at that certainly is the furthest thing from being on a hot seat. But I also think in the nature of the question that was asked, he does have stuff to prove. He does have a lot of validating to give those boosters and that fan base out there. They just went eight and four this past year. They lost their quarterback too. They beat Alabama though. And so, you know, they were coming off a year where they had gone to the Orange Bowl uh, in that, that 2020 season. I think it was they, they went eight and one or nine and one counting the bowl win. That was the year I was referencing. Double digit wins is where they should be. I think those win totals that got put out the other day had A&M at nine. They ought to be a double-digit win per year team. From this point forward, that's what they ought to be. That ought to be their floor. And there are only about three or four programs that can talk like that. Bama's been there. Georgia's there now. Um, Ohio State's been there. Clemson's been there. That's where A&M needs to be. 
you recruit like they're recruiting, that's where you need to be. You need to be at such a level where the starting point is 10 wins. Because you're going to outclass everyone roster-wise you face every week unless you face an Alabama. And you'll be competitive with even the Alabamas of the world. Certainly, if you're, if you're recruiting like they are, you may even, dare I say, take the field before too much longer and have a slight advantage over them. What kind of world would that be? Not there yet. What kind of world would that be, though? So double-digit wins. That's where they need to be. We'll see. We'll see what they perform like this year. And lastly, Jeff Collins at Georgia Tech has a lot to show the fan base there. They were, I, I felt like, and they felt like, they were very close in a lot of areas this past year, but that word doesn't mean a whole lot. In that industry, it doesn't mean a whole lot. And in this sport, it really doesn't mean a whole lot. It's just competitive at the highest levels. Uh, that's the way it is. And so three wins. It's, it's been kind of a, a three-win thing, I think, all three seasons so far. Three wins there. The final two games, look, if you're watching on YouTube, the final two games of this past season, they lost 55-zip and 45-zip. They got outscored 100 to nothing in their past two games. A lot of the coaching staff got overturned, not the head coaching position, but a lot of the remainder of the staff got overturned. They brought in some new faces, some you'd recognize, others you wouldn't. A turnaround is the word they need there. And unfortunately, we're talking about it in year four, but a turnaround is what they need there. James Franklin, Mike Norvell, Jimbo Fisher, and Jeff Collins are the four names that I'm focused on there. But there was another turnaround that I got really excited about. In fact, I'm going to read it to you. So listen to this headline. Academy Sports and Outdoors reports record fourth quarter and fiscal 2021 results. Or as I like to say, physical 2021 results. Did you hear that headline? Did you notice two things that sort of happened simultaneous? Thing number one, Academy partners with Late Kick. Thing number two, Academy Sports and Outdoors reports record fourth quarter and fiscal 2021 results. Guys, I can't help but feel partially to totally responsible. And you should share that sentiment. Did we single-handedly just overturn the entire sporting goods industry? I can't say no. Can't definitively say yes, but I can't say no. Um, it's been an interesting week for the Academy. Will Smith had to quit the Academy, but we're not quitting any Academy. In fact, the bond between Late Kick and Academy Sports and Outdoors has never been stronger. As I said on Twitter, this train stops for no one. And so now that we come out of quarter four and we're into the new year and everything's blooming, as I told you, Nashville, booming and blooming, your neighborhood, probably similar, it's time to buy spring gear. And there's no question where you need to go. There, at this point, it's not just a partnership. It's more of a movement. And I know because I look at our numbers, a lot of you are new every week. And so you don't get the tie between that logo, Late Kick, and Academy yet. But as you're around here more and more, you're going to understand this is not just some ad read. It's not just some commercial. This is not just some random brand that dropped a bag of cash in our lap and said, here, read this every show. This is our partner. These are the folks who make the show free. These are the folks who we have chosen to partner with. And I use that word intentionally because there are a lot of brands that reach out wanting to advertise on the show that we end up not doing business with. Yes, we leave money on the table. How noble of us, right? Uh, but Academy Sports and Outdoors checks all of our boxes and they check the most important box for you in that they have everything you need this time of year and any time of year, and they keep the show free of charge. They keep our lights on, quite literally. So that's the bond we have. And so I was over the moon excited, and I couldn't wait to share it with all of you. How about that? Record fourth quarter and fiscal 2021 results. Look at us. Just look at us. Imagine what we're capable of in 2022. Imagine what you're already doing if uh, truth is told in 2022. So Academy Sports and Outdoors, anything you need. Just forget about sporting goods. Don't even let that deter you. If you need anything, Academy's got it at this point. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. 
Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. All right, let's move on. Let's dive right back into the mailbag. My nose starts to itch around this time of the show every week. It's a personal problem. I'll work through it. Big Cam, next up. What's the most disappointed you've ever been with college football? It could be on the field or off the field from Bossier City, Louisiana. Well, I've got something for you. I didn't want to take such a somber turn so quickly in the show, but I've got something for you. I guess, let me be careful with this. I guess what's disappointed me the most in college football is the amount of our people who were willing to marginalize what is uniquely ours, the regular season, in a chase for something that is ununiquely everyone's, i.e. a great big expanded playoff. And I know that some of you have done that and you've since regretted it. I know others of you are steadfast in that belief that you don't have to sacrifice one to get the other, which you're wrong about, but when you realize it, it'll be too late. You cannot, cannot, and I repeat again, cannot expand one thing and keep the sanctity and value of the other thing. And no, you're not going to come back at me and say, but if we expand this, there'll be more of that. That's not the way it works. It's not the way it works. You devalue the best of that. It's not a... It's not an equal trade-off there. You devalue the very best of that regular season to add some really good to the regular season. You devalue the great to get a little bit more really good featuring teams that aren't going to stand a chance at the playoffs anyway. But I'm not here to relitigate that. What I am here to ask, humbly, is I wonder how many people that in 2008 or 9 or 10 were complaining that we want an expanded playoff or a playoff period. I wonder how many of you out there that at one time in your life were expansionists if given the chance now, would go back to the pre-playoff era and realize, I didn't know it at the time, but it wasn't so bad. 2007, 2006, it, it wasn't so bad. It wasn't perfect. I never said it was perfect back then. It wasn't perfect, but given what the alternative was going to be, and keep in mind what has happened in the playoff era, it, it disappoints me because of the collateral damage the sport has suffered. We didn't just get a four-team playoff. If it was just that, it would have been fine. So oftentimes it happens in life that a lot of folks lobby for something and they can just see that thing and they can never see the ripple effect that it's going to cause. They just see that thing and they get laser focused on that thing. And I may have been victim of this too in the past. I've just long since seen the error of my ways. But a lot of people got razor focused on wanting a playoff. And they never knew, really, in fairness, we couldn't have possibly foreseen this, or at least I never heard anyone talking about it back then, of what a playoff would do. And a playoff, well, let's think about what it's done. It's led to a phrase that used to never exist, which is meaningless bowl game. It's led to a concept, which used to never exist, which is players opting out, not just of pre-Christmas bowl games, but of New Year's Six bowl games. That's like your BCS level games of generations past. It's led to a lot of people arguing that all but a few regular season games are meaningless. This stuff never happened back then. Or if it did happen, it was being vocalized by such a fringe minority that we all laughed at them like we should have done. It's not the worst thing in the world for people to laugh in your face sometimes if you're saying stupid stuff. And people back then, just like the ones now who call those games meaningless, you may not be a stupid person, but good and smart people say stupid things all the time. Stupid people don't ever say smart things, but smart people sometimes do say stupid things. And some of you out there, if you're smart enough to watch the show, I got a lot of respect for you. But if you're calling these bowl games meaningless, just because someone else convinced you if there's not playoff ramifications on the line, it's meaningless. No, think for yourself. Do that. You know how to do that. Think for yourself. But that's what disappointed me and what has disappointed me is watching how many of our folks are, meaning college football. We are not just part of the sporting fabric, if this makes sense to you. 
You could talk to NBA fans, Major League Baseball fans, NFL fans. They all have a version of the same thing. The ball's just shaped different. College football is its own world. And there used to be borders on this world. And the door swings both ways. We'll be happy to let you in. As long as you understand there's a protocol and there's a difference in this world than the world you came from, the professional world over there. And if you want to leave our world for the professional world, broadcasters do it, fans do it, you can go ahead. The only thing we didn't want you to do is load up your little satchel or your wheelbarrow, whatever you brought with you from that outside world, and bring that mess inside this world. That's all we asked. And yet it was too much for some people. And they had to bring in this idea that, well, the way they're doing it out there, what if we did that in here? Or, here's my counterpoint, what if you realized the way we do it in here doesn't exist anywhere else, which by default makes what we have unique. And what if I suggested that they have what you want literally in every other league out there? So there is a plentiful supply of you having versions of what you want in the professional ranks. We also have the NCAA tournament in basketball. If a, an expanded postseason field is what you desire so much, this one little thing over here, why is it that this little community over here is what we have to sully? It wouldn't have happened unless people inside our community allowed it, and unfortunately, too many of us did. So we can't do anything about the past, but the question was, what has disappointed me? That has disappointed me. I hate that we couldn't have a happier ending, uh, but I guess one thing that I do take is I do take from it, I get inundated with so many of you, anytime this comes up, that tell me, you know, I used to be an expansionist. Because I was too. I wanted the playoff too. I wanted the not the expanded at the time. I just wanted the playoff. So I didn't fight it. I was on board. I'm, I'm certainly willing to admit that. So I was like the rest of you. But a lot of you will come and say, ah, I didn't want to stop at four. I wanted the expanded playoff. I wanted the eight. I wanted the NFL model or the MLB model. But I have since realized you've made a lot of points on this show I had never thought about before. Sometimes we do it and we're wrong. I happen to think we're right in this case. But um, I, guess, I guess there's a little sliver of sunshine there at the very end of a dark and cloudy segment. Uh, let's move on after I tell you a very important thing here. They're watching us in St. Augustine, Florida, Coralville, Iowa, and Newport News, Virginia tonight. Thank you, wherever you're watching. Thank you. How about this? If you're watching graphically, I had the good mind today to go over to Instagram and start taking questions on there as well. I think this, Jesse, I think this is a first. Okay, congratulations, Court Bradley. Court Bradley asks, well, he just said something, actually. So, Colin, here's your better endpoint. Court just says, no question mark, the Aggies have piled on the talent with a record class and a defensive line haul. We need to talk about this more. Well, you know what? If you want to talk about it, we'll talk about it. Do you guys have any idea what Texas A&M has done? I know you know they had the number one class. And I know everyone and their mother has their opinion of how they acquired that class. You better not tell Jimbo about it. But do you really have an idea as to just how good this class is? Fortunately, I have a piece of paper with some supporting evidence in my hand right now. We do padlock stats during the season. For those of you who are new, if you're around this fall, a padlock stat's that one stat that if you knew that and nothing else Friday before the game, you would have been certain of the outcome. Well, I don't know that I've ever done a padlock recruiting stat, but I'm going to right now. What if I told you, I want you to pause. I need you to put down what you're doing and listen to this insanity. What if I told you Texas A&M just signed more five-star kids in this class than the entire Big Ten Conference by two? What if I also told you Texas A&M just signed more five-star kids in this class than the entire S... Well, actually, not the entire SEC. Yeah, I'm just going to cut it because I want the sound bite. This is, this is so weak right now if you're watching live. What if I also told you Texas A&M signed twice as many five stars in this class as the entire ACC. That's a whole conference, a major power five conference with multiple schools in the state of Florida and a school in the Carolinas and a school parked right in the middle of Atlanta, Georgia. And Texas A&M signed twice as many five star kids in this class as the entire conference. Those are padlock stats in the world of recruiting. Uh, Jesse also tells me, just for good measure, they signed 18 of the top 100 kids in the country. Most recently, LT Overton. 
out of, I think, Milton in Alpharetta, Georgia. They got him. That's another five-star defensive lineman. At this point, raise your hand if you're a five-star defensive lineman and you didn't commit to Texas A&M. I'd be easier at that point. So then I had another question today. The class is insane. That's my takeaway. I had another question today about A&M, and it was from one of you asking, should we be worried about some of these kids transferring because certainly they're not all going to get immediate playing time? Uh, no. It's going to happen. Certainly going to happen. Happens with everyone. It's just going to be a new concept around A&M because they hadn't recruited at this level yet. Uh, got news for you. No one has. It's the highest rated class of all time. What if, they, what if some of them do transfer? They're going to. Let me spoil the ending for you. Spoiler alert. If you don't want to know, turn the show off or mute it for five seconds. Not every one of these kids is going to start at A&M. What I'm saying is if you shaved off 30% of it, it's still one of the best classes of all time. And that's the way this works. That's the reason you recruit in the kind of numbers and with the kind of tenacity that A&M and Jimbo Fisher did. You know, sort of the short-sighted view of it would be, how many five-star kids do you need? And then Jimbo Fisher looks back at you, Lindsay Lohan style, and says, the limit does not exist. I don't care if sliced bread tells you it does or your grandma tells you it does. Limit does not exist. You never stop. You've got to be almost maniacal about it. Because here's what he knows. He knows who he's got to play every year. He knows what injury has done to him and attrition has done to him. But he also knows in these big-time games, in the games you've got to win to win a national championship, it plays out to where one or two big-time players make one or two game-changing plays, and all of a sudden you win a football game 31-27 to 27, instead of being on the other end of it. And you never know when you sign them on signing day which of those big-time players you're going to need two years from now on the third Saturday in November against fill-in-the-blank. You just know you got to get as many of them as possible to put yourself in the best possible position. So you know that. You know not every one of them is going to pan out. But this worrying about some of them transferring, let them transfer. At this point, it's a privilege to be concerned about that if you're Texas A&M. It's a privilege to have those concerns that Bama has and Georgia has. Welcome to the party. And don't leave. They don't plan on going anywhere. You ought to get your program. If you want to win a national championship at Texas A&M, you got to get your program to a place where it's a relief for those players to get to Saturday. Because what they face on Saturday, nine times out of ten, is easier than what they're facing in practice on Tuesday and Wednesday. When you've gotten there, then you find out what they've known for a little while in Tuscaloosa or Athens. Then you find out what championship depth looks like. They're not there quite yet, but these classes, like the one they just brought in, 18 of the top 100 in the country, more five-star kids than the entire Big Ten, twice as many five-star kids as the entire ACC. That's how you rapidly build championship depth that's how you create these knife fights in practice every day, in these battles for positions. And if kids are turned off by that, that's called a filtration process. Just like in recruiting, when it comes time for kids to strap it up on the field and earn a playing spot and earn playing time, that's what you got to make them do. You got to make them earn it. We had Jimbo on signing day, famously. And among the things that he said that you didn't remember because of the sound bites, he said, we've preached competition with every one of these kids. We've told every one of them. We haven't guaranteed anyone play in time. Quite the opposite. We've told them it's going to be the battle of their life to get on the field here. That's good. That's good. You'll still have some attrition because kids don't get playing time. But the ones who left were the ones who you didn't need. It's just the way it works. You're going to lose some good players. You didn't need them to win a championship. The ones you need to win championships are going to lock down positions or they're going to keep fighting their tail off in practice every day. And you will have built a championship culture with championship depth. And you'll see it at practice every day. You'll, you'll start hearing stories out of College Station with high school coaches or boosters or alumni, former players. When they go to practice, you'll scroll text ags or you'll scroll Gigum 24-7. You'll see these threads. I've seen it with other elite programs. And you'll see these threads that are three or four pages deep of someone who got to attend practice the other day. And they're going to be wide-eyed, and they're going to talk about the ungodly amount of competition and how physical the practices are and how intense it is. And you're going to realize, those kids are going to realize, it's harder to practice here than it is to play games. Everybody not named Bama or Georgia or LSU or whoever that we play, it's easier to face them than it is to face the dude across from me 
on the practice field. That's one of the steps to winning a championship at this level. And they're well on their way at Texas A&M. I hope that that fit the criteria for the question. Uh, the question was just talk about it. So I think we talked about them a fair amount. Uh, this next one is one that every one of you have had an answer to over the course of your college football fandom. Gray's Collective asked, who do you think was robbed of a Heisman Trophy? Statesboro, Georgia there. Well, I've got four of them, and one of them is very recent. I'm, I'm not over it. I hope he is, but I'm not over this. Like, I don't want to get emotional, but there's Will Anderson right there on the screen. How am I supposed to sleep at night knowing that there are Heisman voters walking amongst us who didn't even have Will Anderson on their ballot? When I'm college football commissioner, one of my first acts may just be to out any Heisman voter publicly that did not have Will Anderson on their ballot. That's a crime against college football and, quite frankly, a crime against humanity. That is a college football hate crime. It's exactly what it looks like. Will Anderson was not even in New York City last year. Screw job is what that was. So he would have had my vote if not for Bryce Young. I don't care if you've got five Heisman finalists on your team. If they're among the five best players in college football, send them to New York. I get emotional about it. Will Anderson, number one. In Dominican Sioux, 2009, just so you don't think I'm playing Bama Homer here, uh, Indomitian Sioux did not win because Mark Ingram did. Sioux would have had my vote. He was uh, the biggest game wrecker this side of Will Anderson I've ever seen defensively. Remember watching Texas try and block him? Didn't matter. They tried everything. There was, no, there was no page of the playbook. There was no blocking scheme that Big 12 champ, national championship participant Texas didn't try. There was just nothing that a college team was going to do against Ndamukong Sue. He had 52 solos, 85 total tackles, an absolute force. These are defensive tackle numbers, by the way. He's not some edge rusher, although he spent most of his time in the backfield. Number three from the late 90s is Peyton Manning. Peyton Manning in the South, if you were a kid like I was at the time, aside from your ABCs and multiplication tables and state capitals, you were taught that one of the harsh realities in life, aside from death and taxes, is Peyton got robbed of the Heisman Trophy. We're not here to bash Charles Woodson. That's not what we're here to do. What we are here to do is tell you he should have finished second in the Heisman Trophy voting that year because Peyton Manning was the most outstanding player in college football. That's my humble opinion there. I'm sure it'll go over well in Ann Arbor. And um, yeah, I'm looking at the stats here. 60% completion percentage. Look, Peyton had 3,800 passing yards in 1997. Uh, those are good numbers today, albeit put up by a few more guys on average per year these days. But 36 touchdowns, 11 picks, had a, I mean, just an incredible year. So Peyton there at number three. Now for number four, there was a lot of controversy. There was a lot of talk amongst ourselves. Colin and I agree, is refusing to put this guy on our thumbnail for the YouTube video. But the fact remains, O.J. Simpson got robbed in 1967. Imagine that, figuratively, a crime against O.J. Uh, there's a guy by the name of Gary Beben. Beben. Yeah, I think that was the pronunciation. Point being, that is the point. I can't even remember how to pronounce the guy's name, and he won the Heisman over O.J. Now, O.J. the following year won the Heisman with, I think, like the most first-place votes ever. But the previous year... He lost out to the quarterback across town at UCLA. And not only did he finish number two, he had like a career game against UCLA that year. Did we dig up OJ Simpson footage? I guess we did. Wow. Look at that. Hats off to the production executives for that one. We're short staffed. So congratulations to them or hats off to them. So I went Will Anderson and Dominican Sue, Peyton Manning and OJ Simpson. I don't think you will ever hear that combination of names any other segment. Uh, in the history or future of this program. There you go. Uh, three of the four will be on the YouTube thumbnail. Next question. This one's pretty easy, but I don't realize, or I didn't realize today until we looked at some numbers, how emphatic this is. So Southwest Florida Kane asks, after the SEC West, which conference and then division do you think has the biggest uphill battle in conference play? And that's from LaBelle, Florida or LaBay, Florida, if you don't want to pronounce the L's. This is the Big Ten East. That's the answer, and that's pretty much everyone's answer. So the Big Ten East. But you know what? If you live down in LaBelle, Florida, can you just rattle off the Big Ten East? No, they change their division names all the time, so I don't blame you. Well, the Big Ten East is the one that has Ohio State, but it also has Michigan, but it also has Penn State, 
but it also has Michigan State. How pronounced is the gap between the Eastern Division and the Western Division? Well, producer Jesse, fictitious though he may be in some of your minds, delivered me the following statistics. These are all true. Think about recruiting, which is the lifeblood of this sport. This past cycle, the top five signing classes in the Big Ten all resided in the East. Seven of the top eight signing classes at the very top of the Big Ten were all in the Big Ten East. The final six in the Big Ten were all in the West. The Big Ten East has won the last nine conference championships. And, and if you remove Wisconsin, we're going to do that whole thing where if you remove the best of something and then look at the rest, if you remove Wisconsin from the West, you've got to go back to 04. 04. Guess what year I graduated high school? Yes. You got to go all the way back there to find someone from that other division, whether it's the leaders or the legends or the lesser or the fewer or the poorer. Uh, that's a poverty division. There's no two ways to put it. Those are poverty statistics for the Big Ten West. Poverty division. There's no excuse for it. There's some really good football programs over there. Passionate fan bases, really invested, maybe just not quite enough. Um, why do we have division formats? This is a question from multiple conferences, but why do we have division formats? There are a lot of folks who beat this drum. There are a lot of folks beating this drum long before I got here. I just want to grab a little stick and add on to the drum beat. The concept of divisions is bygone in nature. You know I'm a traditionalist. I hardly want anything changing. That's why I love the Penn State uniform more than the Oregon uniform. However, I don't like divisions because it leads to things like this. Again, I want to read this. The top five signing classes in the Big Ten were all in one division. Seven of the top eight. The bottom six signing classes were all in another division. And one division's won nine of the last ten conference championships. And if you remove Wisconsin, it gets a whole lot bleaker, a whole lot faster. So, yes, it's not quite the SEC West, but the Big Ten East, that's tough. And it would totally reshape the Big Ten championship picture if you did away with the division format and you just took the two best. Uh, but that's not the way it is. And so we enter every season knowing that a maximum of one of Michigan, Ohio State, Penn State, and Michigan State are going to be able to make the Big Ten championship game. That's why I have never and will never lobby for a playoff format in which you have to be a conference champion to make the playoff. Never, because, you know, if, if, we're, if we're trying to put the best two teams in a playoff, it's a little bit different. But if you're trying to find me the best four teams, it is possible for more than one of the four best teams in the country to reside in the same division. And I'm not going to penalize them uh, just because of where they're pinpoint on a map happens to be. Really appreciate you guys being tuned in. Here's the favor we continue to ask throughout spring. Subscribe to the podcast and subscribe to the YouTube channel. Here's a fun fact. I want you to know what you guys did the other night. In our industry, especially with the format we have for Late Kick, our viewership almost totally comes from the first 24 hours. Like a lot of you are watching live, many more of you watch the replay following morning to afternoon, and then normally the viewership tapers off after that. More of you watched the show after it had been up for 24 hours than watched the show during the first 24 hours from our last episode. I don't know that we've ever seen that. And it wasn't even particularly close was the thing. So I don't know what had you guys distracted on Thursday, but you came to the trough big time on Saturday and Sunday, however you want to watch. Thank you. You may miss some breaking news using that methodology, but thank you. So, Director Collins says thank you. Well, he would if he existed. So, so would producer Jesse. I'm pretty sure he would if he existed. I'm Josh Pate. I'm here. There's proof of me. Thank you so much for watching. Have yourselves a great start to your week. Subscribe to the channels and God bless. Picture this, it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road, any road, the steeper the better. Because my all new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. 
Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 